Hello and welcome to Mr. President from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If your past is limited, your future is boundless. Mr. President, starring Edward Arnold. Mr. President, at home in the White House, the elected leader of our people, our fellow citizen and neighbor, we invite you now to become better acquainted with one of America's greatest men. These are little-known stories of the men who have lived in the White House. Dramatic, exciting events in their lives that you and I so rarely hear. True, human stories of Mr. President. Our Mr. President drama will begin in just a moment. Many years ago, the President sat in a ladder-backed, cane-bottomed chair and read reports written by a young man whose wages he paid out of his own pocket. No telephones plagued him. He could come and go as he pleased, take a swim in the Potomac, or ride in the woods around Washington. Today, the President sits in an air-conditioned office, surrounded by telephones, dictating into a wire recorder. If he wants to walk, he must stay inside the black iron bars enclosing the White House grounds. From the ladder-back chair to air conditioning, from then to now, many presidents have lived in the White House, men of differing personalities, tempers, and talents. Our Mr. President's job is to play them all, and he's done it. Edward Arnold has become the man in the White House. On the street, in stores, he's greeted with, Hello, Mr. President, we like the show. We know you'll like it, too. So let's listen now to Mr. President and see if you can name the president upon whom this episode is based. It 
was late evening in Washington. All day long, cabinet officers had been bringing reports to the White House. Reports which the president needed in preparing his annual review for Congress. He sat at his desk studying the material. Mr. President, wouldn't you like to have some tea and molasses cookies? No, not now, my dear, not now. I have to go over this material. Oh, you're missing something, sir. For a northern woman, your wife makes the best molasses cookies I've ever tasted. (laughs) Why, thank you, Mr. Davis. Won't you have some more? Well, I don't mind if I do, ma'am. Oh, come on, Mr. President. Join me. I feel like a pig eating alone. Well, I'm anxious to go over your report while you're still here, Mr. Davis. I may want to ask you some questions. Well, I think you'll find the War Department in good order, sir. Of course, I need more men, money, arms, and transportation. Yes, so I notice, so I notice. You report an army of almost 14,000 men. Now, tell me, Mr. Secretary, war, why do we need more than 14,000 men in the army? The 14,000 is merely on paper. Only about 10,000 are in actual service. More than 8,000 of these are on the frontier. Indian uprisings, you know. Mm, yes, the frontier is still quite a problem. And uh, what is this, Mr. What is this, Jefferson Davis? Do I read something that isn't here, or are you really asking for camels? You read me correctly, Mr. President. I recommend that we import camels. Good heavens, you mean those large Arabian beasts with the you want to bring them to this country? Are you serious? Of course I'm serious. Mr. Davis must mean for exhibition at zoological gardens. No, ma'am. I mean no such thing. I want them for transport, for the army and for civilians, too. Oh, it's fantastic. I've never heard of such a thing. Mr. President, we both served in the Mexican War. You know as well as I do that the rapid transportation of troops is one of our greatest problems. In order to be effective... Troops must travel fast, with the least possible fatigue, and with all their materials of war. Well, that's very true, but camels, what, what makes you think they can do the job? Because camels are ideal for desert travel. Used in the southern deserts of our country, camels would revolutionize transportation. Yeah, camels are foreign to our soil. They, uh, they wouldn't thrive here? I think they would, sir. How would these animals know the difference between a desert in Arabia and one in our own southwest? Well, not being a camel, I couldn't tell you. But I suspect they have some way of knowing where they are. Have a cookie, Mr. Davis. Thank you. Mr. President, in your inaugural address, you spoke of the boundless future in store for young America. You said we must have the faith to develop new enterprises and new ideas. Oh, I suppose I could ask Congress for a small appropriation for camels. Uh, How much do you estimate it would cost? Oh, let's say $30,000. $30,000? Let's not say it. What makes these animals so expensive? Well, we couldn't buy just one or two. We'd need a great many camels. We'd also need Arab camel drivers, experts accustomed to handling the beasts. And then we'll have some expense importing them. I don't know. I don't know. Let's forget about the camels and struggle along with horses and pack mules till we have railroads to the Pacific coast. Mr. President, Mm. you wanted me to remind you about going to bed early tonight. Oh, that's right, my dear, that's right. I I promised myself some fishing before sunrise. You'll have to excuse me, Mr. Davis. Uh, But, sir, what about my camels? We'll talk about them some other time, in the remote future, I hope. Uh, Good night, sir. I have an early appointment with some fish. yet, mister? No, not yet. How about yourself? Not even a nibble. Are there any fish in this stream? Of course. I pulled some whoppers out of the water at this very spot. I come here often. I can't understand why they don't bite this morning. Uh, it's that man in the White House. 
The president? Why, I always thought he was a very decent fellow. You don't know him very well, mister. Well, perhaps not. Are you acquainted with him? Not personally. But I know one thing. With a president with some backbone, we'd have plenty of fish. No, I'm afraid I don't follow you. What does the president have to do with uh, our being unable to catch any fish? Oh, I don't mean in this river. This is nothing. I'm just killing some time around here. Uh-huh. I don't usually fish with a hook and line. Oh, are there other methods? Of course, with nets. This kind of fishing is just for men who have nothing to do. Can't make any money with a hook and line? No, I suppose not. You see, I own a fleet of fishing vessels. Send them out to Canadian waters for some real catches. Plenty of mackerel in those bays around New Brunswick and Nova Scotia. Well, it must be a lucrative business. It was, until those British officials began stopping by ships, seizing some and taking the fish off others. They've actually done that? Sure they have. Why do you suppose I'm in Washington? We had a good man in the White House. I wouldn't have to come here. He'd protect my interests. I'm an American. I'd pay taxes. I see. Then you're here to see the president. Not hmm? me. I wouldn't waste my good time on him. I'm waiting around to get to the State Department so I can put in my holler. And believe me, I holler loud. Well, what do you want the State Department to do for you? Get me back my ships that are locked up in Canadian harbors and stop those people from interfering with my business. If the State Department doesn't do something, I will. I arm my men, put cannon on my ships, and then let some of those Britishers try to stop me. Well, isn't your method a little drastic? I believe in fighting for my rights. Well, I mean this business of firing on British officials could lead to war. Have you thought of that? Sure, I thought of it. They're warring on fishermen like me, aren't they? This is war. And we've got a fine president, haven't we? He promised to protect American rights. And what's he doing? Well, I think it's very likely that he's concentrating on this fishing problem at this very moment. Certainly is a fine day for a ride, Mr. President. Certainly is, Mr. Davis. I love it. When I get out of politics, I'll spend all my time riding, hunting, and fishing. How was your fishing trip this morning? <laughs> I didn't recognize you in those old clothes. <laughs> you and others. Oh, the fishing was satisfactory. <laughs> the usual compromise. I took two big ones home, and then four small ones came back into the stream. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Uh, Mr. President, hmm? I've been thinking about those camels. Oh, no, no. Let's enjoy our ride, Mr. Davis. No camels today, please. But if you'd only listen to me, sir. No self-respecting American would ride a camel in preference to a horse anyway. All right. I'll take it up some other time. Better be careful, sir. Some of this ground is pretty muddy. Well, I've never seen Washington when it wasn't. But Ethan's a pretty sure-footed horse. Yes, sir. But he's blind. That's true. With few horses with sight can equal him. His eyes are at his feet. Maybe so. But look out, sir. Look out. <laughs> well, well, well. Don't sit up there like an idiot. Yes, sir. Are you hurt? No, no, I don't think so. But I'm covered with mud and very uncomfortable. Your horse stumbled and threw you. Now, doesn't this prove, Mr. President, that horses are undependable? Do you realize, sir, that the southern route to the coast could be traveled all year round if we had a camel caravan to speed through the arid deserts? Do you realize, sir... Uh, I realize that I'll be stuck in this mud till the end of time if I I don't let you have those blasted camels. All right, you win, sir. Pull me out. Of course. There we are, Mr. President. You took an unfair advantage, but... I'll ask for the appropriation. Well, you won't be sorry. Well, I hope not. 
Now I must get back and get cleaned up. Secretary of State is coming in to discuss the Canadian fisheries trouble. We're trying to prevent a war. What, and put me out of business? Oh, not completely, Mr. Davis. You'll still have your camels. And what do you think, Mr. Marcy, of a man who comes home covered with mud? Look at this rug. Getting covered with mud is an old story to anyone in politics, madam. Oh, now, my dear, you know it was an unavoidable accident, so let's forget it. Secretary of State has more important things to discuss here. Did I get any messages? Only this note Mr. Davis left while you were bathing. Let me see. Don't forget the camel. (laughs) (laughs) The man's a fanatic on the subject. (laughs) Uh, Mr. Marcy, I asked you here to discuss this Canadian fisheries trouble. Well, it's been going on through several administrations, Mr. President. It's grown worse because of the Nova Scotia Hovering Act of some years back. What is this Hovering Act? Well, it seeks to prevent the hovering of any vessels within three miles of its coasts and harbors. Its policy is to exclude all United States fishermen from its bays and even from all waters within lines drawn from headland to headland. It also seeks to deny our fishermen all traffic privileges in British colonial ports. Well, isn't it true that our ships are being seized? I'm afraid it is, sir. Now there's a British patrol fleet to keep our vessels out of their fishing waters. Well, something has to be done about it. Many Americans are worried about the purpose of this British fleet. And many of our private vessels are arming. One of these days, one of them will be stopped and shots will be exchanged and we may find a war on our hands. Well, what would you suggest we do about it? Well, I think you should begin exploring with the British minister the possibility of a fisheries and a, well, a trade treaty with Canada. Meanwhile, we'll send a naval force of our own out to cruise in the seas and bays where Americans fish. To go how far, Mr. President? Well, to protest firmly against any British attempt to deprive American citizens of their just rights, but not to resort to violence except in self-defense. This trouble has been going on for too many years. And we must have a firm understanding and a treaty. And I mean to get it. you figured out who the president was when all this happened? It really did happen, you know. There was much excitement among both Canadians and Americans about the fisheries dispute. People were suspicious of both the British and American fleets patrolling the disputed waters. After a series of meetings held with the British minister, the Secretary of State reported to the president. Mr. President, some Canadians are very much in favor of a reciprocal trade treaty or annexation by the United States. Others, greatly opposed to annexation, fear that such a treaty will be an opening wedge toward that goal. Well, their fears must be put down. Our only objective is a firm treaty. Yes, but each of the British colonies has different interests, and it's very difficult to get them together on this. Nova Scotia and Newfoundland are particularly set against any Americans sharing in sea and coast fisheries. Well, there's a way of dealing with every objection, separately if necessary. Did you and Mr. Crampton come to any understanding on... What articles should uh, go on the free trade list? Tentatively. He wanted to include items like coal, metals, and skin. I consider them unwise. Coal, in particular, would bring objections from Pennsylvania, Maryland, and Virginia. Definitely. What about sugar? I proposed admitting unrefined sugar. Mr. Crampton objected. I see. 
Well, a treaty isn't settled without compromise, give and take. We expect that. But this treaty must be settled. Check with our Canadian agent, Mr. Andrews. He knows the people and can be of great help to us. I'm in touch with him now, sir. Good. Navigation of waterways such as the St. Lawrence and St. John should also be included in any final treaty. Both peace and prosperous trade depend on it. Mr. Davis, how good to see you. Thank you, ma'am. Why, you haven't been around for several days. It's good to be missed. I've been very busy making sure that my precious camels reached our country safely. Oh, that's right. Congress did authorize the $30,000 for your camels experiment. Indeed, it did. Pardon me, ma'am, but don't I detect the heavenly aroma of molasses? (laughs) Yes, of course. I have a fresh batch of molasses cookies just out of the oven. Will you have some? That, ma'am, is a purely rhetorical question. (laughs) With your great bacon of molasses cookies and my camel caravan through the desert country, we will rock this nation. (laughs) Is the president inside? Yes, I think you can go right in. Thank you. Why don't you take this plate of cookies with you? He might like some, too. Thank you. And if he doesn't, his loss is my gain. Well, Mr. Davis, where have you been? Are those cookies for me? Just one. What? Well, after all, you live here. You can eat them every day. Yes, but she doesn't bake them every day. That, Mr. President, is true. I want to be fair about this. Take plenty. (laughs) Take two. (laughs) (laughs) If I didn't know you so well, I'd kick you right out of here. (laughs) Tell me what's happened to your camel experiment. Sir, I am pleased to report that the camels are now on Texas soil. Well, that's fast work. Did they all arrive safely? All. Plus one extra born on ship. Oh, congratulations. Have a cookie. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir, they landed 42 dromedaries at Old Potterhorn, Texas. I have Major Henry C. Wayne in charge of the camel caravan, and I expect to hear fine reports of what he's accomplishing with our new desert transportation system. I must admit you have great faith in your project. The utmost, sir. I've done a great deal of studying on the history of camels and military activities in many lands and in many periods, and I'm fully convinced that they are highly adaptable to American problems. Did you know that France has had marked success with the dromedary in subduing the Arabs? No, this is news to me. Well, it's true, sir. And don't forget the habits and country of the Arabs are very similar to those of the mounted Indians of our western plains. Why, France is about to use camels again in Algeria. Well, Mr. Davis, I'm still dubious, but I'm willing to be shown. You will be shown, sir. Why, I can visualize thousands of camels racing through our deserts, conveying troops and supplies in use for reconnaissance and also for many civilian pursuits. I predict, sir, I predict that 1,000 years from now, the camel will be our chief beast of burden. Pass the cookies, please. Here you are. Thank you, sir. It's your opinion, then, that camels will be superior to railroads for transportation, hmm? Not in every respect, perhaps. But, sir... Railroads don't multiply. (laughs) I find it hard to envision any troops riding camels, but I'll watch the experiment with interest. (laughs) Mr. President, I'm here to report, but my news is not very encouraging. Well, I'm disappointed, Mr. Marcy. I thought you were making progress on the treaty with Canada. Well, for a time I did make progress, sir, but recently the negotiations have broken down. Now, then they must be repaired again. In any event, the fisheries problem must be settled at once and for all. 
If American fishermen are excluded from the open bays, there'll be serious trouble. I know that. Americans have been fishing extensively lately. They claim the right to take mackerel and herring in the open bays. And this government will maintain that claim at all costs. What does our agent report? Andrew says there's difficulty throughout the maritime provinces again, and especially in Nova Scotia. What's the trouble now? Well, there's a large opposition block in Nova Scotia which feels that British concessions will harm their interests. Well, what does he suggest we do about it? He felt that he should have a secret service fund with which he to promote favorable public opinion. Mm -hmm. I told him, of course, that that was out of the question. Public opinion cannot be changed in such a way. Oh, you're wrong, Mr. Marcy. You'd give it serious consideration? Of course I would. There's more than one way to skin a cat. Sometimes a bit of promotion may succeed where earnest conversations will fail. Tell Andrews to proceed with his plan. Instruct him that he may spend up to $5,000 on entertainment and other promotions. As you wish, Mr. President, but uh, what about our own senators who are hostile to a reciprocal trade treaty with Canada? Well, the British have a very able diplomat, Lord Elgin, who can tackle such an assignment. If Andrews is successful in Canada, let's get Lord Elgin in Washington. <laughs> thought it was a beautiful sermon. Oh, yes, my dear, so did I. And especially when he talked about the folly of women's fashion. Well, I'm not so sure he wasn't a little out of his element there. Mr. President, mm. do you mean to tell me you approve of those grotesque styles originated by that French empress or that, uh, what's her name? Eugenie? Yes. Would you like me to wear one of those monstrous hoop skirts that she introduced? Oh, no, Jane, of course not, uh, Still, it's an interesting thing to see. Oh, you men. <laughs> Don't you forget what he read from the Bible. And it shall come to pass that I will punish the princess and the king's son and all such as are clothed with foreign appeal. Mm, you know, a lot of women, women are going to be punished this season. <laughs> oh, here comes Mr. Davis. Well, good morning, ma'am. President, I was in to see you this morning, but there wasn't a soul in the White House. We were at church, Mr. Davis. Uh, Jane sees to it that every member of the staff goes to church. And where were you while we were at the house of worship, Mr. Davis? Well, ma'am, to tell you the truth... Careful I... now, careful, or you'll never get another molasses cookie in the White House. Well, the truth is I clean forgot it was Sunday morning. I was busy with my correspondence. I'm sorry, ma'am. Very well, then. You're forgiven. But I'll expect to see you in church next Sunday morning. I'll be there. Uh, what's happened to your camel train, Mr. Davis? That's what I want to see you about. Mm -hmm. Major Wayne has taken it as far as San Antonio. It appears to be a great success. They're a great success. In what way? Well, they carry large burdens without getting tired, and some of the men have successfully ridden them, too. Only some of the men? Well, others complain that the motion of riding on a camel gives them a feeling of seasickness. <laughs> Maybe you shouldn't try to put the army on the camels. Eh? <laughs> Maybe you should give the camels to the Navy, Mr. Davis. Well, you may laugh, Mr. President, but it's just a matter of getting used to a different kind of transportation. The time will come so when every soldier serving on our frontiers and in our deserts will be mounted on a camel. <laughs> well, I'm willing to believe it when I see it. <laughs> It must be the Secretary of State. I asked him to stop in before Lord Elgin arrived. 
Good evening, Mr. Marcy. Oh, good evening, madam. How are you tonight, Mr. President? No first rate, Mr. Marcy. Sit down. Thank you. Uh, Jane, will you let me know when Lord Elgin arrives? Yes, Mr. President. Well, Mr. Marcy, it looks like our special agent, Mr. Andrews, turned the trick in Canada, doesn't it? Yes, he's molded public opinion very favorably, but uh, I cannot approve of his expenditure. Oh, has he gone over the prescribed amount? Mr. President, you know I didn't like this method of spending money to change opinion from the start. At your request, I authorized Mr. Andrews to issue drafts on my department up to a total of no more than $5,000. Do you know how much he spent? No, how much? $67,000. Mmm, Tweedy's come high this season. Has he accounted for his expenditures? Yes, confidential agents, special messengers, telegraphic messages, preparation of editorials for newspapers, dinner parties, and such items. But $67,000, I don't think it's worth it. Well, I can't agree with you. If he's prepared public opinion favorably to a treaty, it's a very small price to pay for continued peace and prosperous trade between neighbor nations. There's still no assurance that our Senate will approve this treaty. In fact, if it came to a vote at this very moment, I'm sure it would be turned down. Come in. Yes, at this moment it would be turned down. Lord Elgin is here to see you. Oh, ask him to come in, my dear. Mr. Marcy, this is the man who must do the kind of missionary work here that Andrews did in Canada. I'm very doubtful that he can do it. Come in, Lord Elgin. I'm glad to see you, sir. The honor's mine, Mr. President. You know my Secretary of State, Mr. Marcy? Of course. It's good to see you again, Mr. Marcy. Glad to see you again, Lord Elgin. Well, gentlemen, I think the treaty's provisions are quite clear. We may navigate your Lake Michigan and you may use our St. Lawrence and St. John. Your commercial and fishing vessels may enter every Canadian port. Number of free trade articles and commissions and an umpire to settle all disputes. Well, we're uh, in agreement as to the terms, Lord Elgin. Uh, Mr. Marcy has some doubts, however, that some of our senators will, well, they want to prove the treaty. Mr. President, that is why I'm here. Uh, this appears to be a diplomatic problem, and I am a diplomat. I should like a list of all the possible opponents of this treaty first. I will give you such a list, Lord Algin. What do you have in mind? Cultivation, sir, that will flower into firm friendships. Your senators are suspicious of strangers? Very well. I shall not remain strange. I am a charming host, gentlemen. I shall arrange parties at which the senators will find... We have much in common. I don't know that you can do it. Well, I'm sure you can, my lord. All of the great advances have not been obtained around a conference table alone. And this treaty is a great advance for which our nations will be very grateful in the years ahead. you've probably figured out by now who the president was when all that happened. It really did happen, you know, and you'll have the answer in just a moment. In prize fighting, when they speak of the old one-two, they're talking about the punching combination that marks a victorious fighter, a leading jab followed by the knockout blow. In newscasting, ABC presents a form of that old one-two each weekday, Monday through Friday. Edwin C. Hill leads off in this winning combination of commentators with Don Gardner providing the finisher on headlines in the news. Between them, they cover the latest developments in national and world affairs, like the blast of a double-barreled shotgun. First, Mr. Hill probes behind the current bulletins to discuss the interplay of personalities involved. Then, Don Gardner offers a summary of last-minute developments throughout the nation and around the world. 
Hear Edwin C. Hill, followed by Don Gardner and headlines in the news on ABC tomorrow. And now back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. Congratulations, Mr. President. I hear the Senate has just voted approval of the treaty with Canada. Thank you, Mr. Davis. It's a great day for all of us. What are you carrying there? This package, sir, is a gift to you. For me? Well, let's open it and see what it is. What is is this? Why, it looks like a pair of socks. Jane, look at this. Well, they're very handsome socks. Made of camel's hair from our camels in Texas, sir. Mrs. Mary Shirky of Victoria knitted them for you. Now, what do you say? I'll, I'll wear them with pleasure, but they really aren't worth $30,000. Well, I'm sure the camels will prove their worth in many other ways. Sir, I think the experiment is successful. Perhaps, perhaps, but I am happier about our investment in Canada. And well, you might be. The people of Canada, England, and the United States may forget your camels, dear. But for the completion of this treaty, they can never forget my husband. Franklin Pierce. Be with us again next week, won't you, for another interesting story that happened in Washington a few years ago to Mr. President. Until then, goodbye. Mr. President, produced and directed by Ted Toll, was created by Robert G. Jennings and written by David Noenson. Heard in the cast were Isabel Jewell, Herbert Butterfield, Polly Bear, and your narrator, Ted DeCorsia. Our story was based on incidents in the life of President Franklin Pierce. Be sure to listen again next week when the American Broadcasting Company and its affiliated stations bring you Edward Arnold with another interesting and factual story of Mr. President. This program came to you from Hollywood. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company.